much for having us back and uh, just been really enjoying all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he's been doing amongst us this morning. And I felt God's given me something for you. Actually, I shared something similar with your leaders in the summer, but I just felt God stirred me to bring it to you here today. But I just want to make some comments, first of all, just to say this. Happy birthday. Um, It was on a very sunny, cold October day that uh, we first came up to Teesside and met with uh, some of you. Who was there on that very first meeting? Yeah, quite a lot of you were, actually. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So Actually, Anne wasn't there, to be fair. Um, she came up later. I had to give her a good report of you, which I did. And uh, we immediately felt our hearts joined to you and that God wanted to birth something very new in Teesside, Jubilee Church, and very stirred about what's happened. Now, you know what? It's 18. I think that's significant. I think 18 is a coming of age, isn't it? And uh, I don't know if you've been thinking about that, but I've been thinking about that for you. I think 18 is a very significant number. I mean, it's just a number, isn't it? It's just another day. But yeah, if it's your birthday, Dave Gibson, happy birthday to you. If it's your, he's actually 18 plus, <laughs> very over 18. And, <laughs> oh, I mean, you could be 21 and very over 18. <laughs> we won't say how old, but he now can draw some stuff, can't he, Lynn? Yes. <laughs> 18 is very significant. It's a coming of age. It's a sense of you were a child even though actually at 17 you don't feel like a child, you were a child, now you're grown up and you've got some new rights and privileges. But I think actually, if you think back to your teenage years, and some of you may be in your teenage years, and some of you will have teenagers, there are growing pains, aren't they, through the teenage years. There's some difficult... Yeah, Lou's nodding her head. There are some difficult times during the teenage years. Teenagers are not always that easy to handle, not always that easy to be. There's changes going on in in your body. There's changes going on in your mind. There's all sorts of things that are happening to you. And actually, the teenage years can be quite difficult years. And I think, to be fair, the last few years, you've had some difficulties here. You've just been going through some growing pains, some difficulties, and we just need to be aware of that. We need to reference that. And sometimes that's quite normal and natural in church life. It's natural in ordinary life and it's natural in church life. We go through, I think it was that beautiful uh, interpretation actually that we had. God, I think Jill brought that. God, you've been through me in the good times. You've been through me in the bad times. I've had light days. I've had dark days. I've had happy days. I've had sad days. And life is like that, isn't it? Life goes through. It's not a nice straight line. We just wish it was a line going like this from glory to glory to glory. But it isn't. Life goes up and life goes down. And you've been through a valley season. You've been through a difficult period over these last few years. And to be honest with you, God's in that. God's in the dark times as much as he's in the light times. God's in the bad times and the difficult times as much as he's in the happy times and the bright times. It's just that at the time, you don't feel like it. At the time, it just feels really, really difficult. And I felt God wants to say to you this morning, yes, you've come of age and you need to start to act differently now. There's a sense in which you need to grow up. There's a sense in which you need to take responsibility. See, when you're young, your parents take responsibility for you. Actually, when you've come of age, you take responsibility for yourself. And I feel God would say to you this morning, Jubilee, start to take and act up. Start to take responsibility. 
Start to be responsible. Start to act in that. And one or two of you even here have had some difficulties. You've had a bit of wobble over this. And God's saying, now actually, this isn't just a time to look to your leaders to be responsible for you. Now, leaders are responsible. You've got great leaders here who are responsible. But actually, you now step into some new responsibility. You're 18 now. You're grown up now. Step in to some new responsibility. And I felt God say that, you know, the transitions, we've been through several transitions in this church. We've had three team leaders over the last uh, few years. Obviously, I led the team for 11 years, then Paul Woodward led it for five years, and then Raj is now leading the team. And when you go through these transition times, they're not all nice and smooth. They're not always easy. They're sometimes very difficult. And I feel we've just got to be honest and say it's been a difficult transition the last few years. It's been a difficult time. But I think right now what God says to you is you've got to forget the past and press on into the future. You've got to forget the difficult teenage years. One day you'll laugh about them. You will. One day you'll laugh about them. You'll go, oh, wasn't it cruel? That was a bit... bit." You'll laugh about it. But right now it's a bit painful. Forget those teenage years. Forget the pain. Forget the difficulties. Forget that which you've been through and have a new perspective. Have a new sight. Have a new vision to see what God's going to do. I don't think it's insignificant that last week Raj spoke on vision. Tonight at your family meeting there's going to be all of the elders and leaders speaking and trustees speaking on vision and where we're going. What I felt God say, this, none of this is in my notes, but what I felt God say, uh, as I, I just scribbled some of this stuff down this morning, what I felt God say is this, Isaiah 43, not 61, you'll be pleased to know, Isaiah 43, there are other chapters in Isaiah, and Isaiah 43, and I spoke on Isaiah 61, by the way, on that very first Sunday in October, and uh, spoke on those four R's, interestingly enough, uh, on that first Sunday, all those years ago. But this is what God says, I think, and I can say this as one who's led here, forget the former things. Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 19. Forget the former things. Now, you've got a choice in this. You can choose to forget things. You can choose to put things out of your mind. You can choose to say, I'm not going to dwell on that anymore. Now, actually, God has an amazing ability to remember no more. (laughs) We haven't got that divine ability, but we can make a choice to say, I'm not going to dwell on the past. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. That's the next verse. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And I feel what God is saying to you is you've got to change your sight. You've got to look differently at a few things. You've got to perceive it differently. In one sense, nothing's changed, but in one sense, everything's changed. You probably remember the story I've told you here before of Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian leader of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London over 100 uh, years ago in the 1890s. That was when he was uh, ministering in London, largest church in the world, amazing revival stuff happening, 30,000 people gathering together in London. It was just incredible what was going on in that Victorian time. And actually, Charles Spurgeon led that work and actually he tells some amazing stories. And one of the stories he changed, he talks about is about a change of perspective of not realising what you've got because you're looking at it in the wrong way. And I don't think you realise what you've got here, Jubilee. 
I think you've got something amazing. I think you've got some treasure. You've got some treasured people and you've got some treasured promises and you've got some treasured inheritance to step into and you just need to switch your mind because you can look at the same thing negatively and you can look at the same thing positively. Spurgeon tells this story. He go, I, I've probably told it here before, but he goes to a, a, a very poor lady in his church. Uh, she's, like, she's living in a hovel. She's living in this, like um, Faye, where's Faye? Like um, the, one of those slums that you were pointing out from Cambodia. A little bit like that. She's living in a really slum hovel and unfortunately she's lost her job, not because she's been a bad employee, but because her master, who was the only lord of the manor, had died recently and there was no provision for her, there was no social services in those days and actually she's now living in this hovel, workhouse environment and Spurgeon as a pastor is visiting her and trying to be pastoral to her and she's kind of reminiscing, oh it used to be wonderful, you know I used to live in the manor, it used to be incredible, I used to be the the favoured servant, I was my master's favoured servant and you can do that, you can look back saying, do you remember the glory days of Jubilee, do you remember when we had this, do you remember in favour? And she said, but now, look at this, she says, now this is what I'm living with. There, there was no provision for me and I'm living in this hovel and the only treasured possession I have now is my master's thank you letter that he wrote to me on his deathbed. And here it is on the wall. I framed it because I'm so proud of my year's service. You can look back and say that kind of uh, typifies my year's service. It was a thank you letter. Now this lady, unfortunately, was illiterate But when Spurgeon read the letter, he said, this isn't a thank you letter. This is the last will and testimony of your master and he's leaving everything to you. You now are the lady of the manor. That's your house now. Stop living in this hovel and step up into your destiny. Now, what changed? In one sense, nothing changed. It was all hers anyway, but suddenly her perspective changed. She looked at that not just as a letter, but now as a last will and testament she could step into it. And Jubilee, what I feel God is saying is change your perspective. See things differently. Stop seeing things from a negative point of view and start seeing some wonderful challenges God is giving you and some wonderful opportunities of faith. You've been at that mountain too long. Now step away from that mountain. Stop going round in circles. Step away from it and step into your inheritance. Step into your blessing. Step into the promises of God. Because I tell you, this is a wonderful church. And I don't just say that because I have investment here. It really is a wonderful church. It's wonderful to see what God has done. How many of you just wave at me if you made a commitment to Jesus on the Alpha Course? See, look, many of these people here made commitments on Alpha Course. It's wonderful. God saved many people in this church. And God has sent many people from this church. Steve Whittington, down into Hull. That church is doing brilliantly now. They're multiplying and planting another church out from there. It's great to see what God's doing in Hull with Steve. When you sent us to Manchester and what God's doing with us. When you sent Julian Adams and what God's doing with Julian now across the nations. People have come out from you here and are blessing the nations because of the work of Jubilee because of the strong base that Jubilee is. Now, at the moment, you don't feel very strong. You feel a little shaken. You feel a little like we've been through some windy seasons and have been shaking. Actually, what happens when you get shaken is actually the roots, it's like a tree being shaken by the wind, the roots go down deeper. 
and your roots have actually got deeper. You've actually got stronger through the trials, you just don't know it yet. You've, got deep, you've gone deeper through the difficulties, it's just you don't quite appreciate it yet. And what I want to talk to you about today, I want to talk about the type of church that you are. The type of church that you are, I think, is seen in Acts chapter 11 and chapter 13. You might like to turn to it now. I think the type of church that you are is what the Bible describes in the city of Antioch. And I just want to talk about this. It's interesting, Antioch was on a major trade route, was on major road systems. You're on major road systems. The A66, great east to west highway, the great A1 north to south highway, where those two cross is right here, right there. Well, it's the A19, I know, but you know, sort of an offshoot of it. But you know, it's, it's I, I used to live here, you know. I love Teesside, me. <laughs> um, you know, right here, there's this great cross where kind of the north-south road and the east-west road, that was Antioch. It was on crossroads. It was on a major cosmopolitan place where people came in from different places. It was, in its region, in its area, it was, the third mo- it was the third largest city. It was a really important trade city. It was vibrant. It was full of colour. It was full of culture. It was an important city. Teesside is an important city. I know it's not a city. I know it's a borough. I know it's several different boroughs all stuck together. I know Teesside doesn't technically exist. I know all that. I lived here for 11 years. But actually, God sees it as a great city. And there's 650,000, or there were 650,000 people in the TS postcode. And it's an important city. Antioch was an important city. But unfortunately, Antioch was also a divided city. They reckon that in Antioch, everyone had their own quarters. Some people think there was something like 18 or 19 quarters. How that works, I don't know, because there should be only four of them. But uh, they had, and they were like, they were all in their little walled cities. And Teesside can sometimes be that kind of rivers separate us, roads separate us, ancient boundaries separate us, villages and towns and places separate us. But actually, God does something wonderful in the church where he breaks down walls, where he breaks down barriers, and he brings together people of all different backgrounds, young and old, richer and poorer, different sociological, demographic backgrounds, men, women, children, older people, all one together in Christ. And God did something remarkable in Antioch. So much so that when a leading figure, a leading apostolic figure called Barnabas, when he went there from Jerusalem, and we'll read it in a moment, it said he saw evidence of the grace of God. And when people come into Teesside, they look at you and they can see evidence of God's grace. Different coloured skins, different backgrounds, different ages, different stages of life, different bank accounts or balances. and Just different. We're all different. But God brings us together as one new man in Christ. It's the grace of God. It is amazing what God has done in Teesside and it's amazing what he wants to continue to do. So let's have a little read of it in Acts chapter 11. And we're going to read verse 19 down to verse 26, and then Acts 13, 1 to 3. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution, so it's interesting when you get difficulties and troubles, 
something good always comes out of it because those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, that's Stephen's death, the first martyr, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, and by the way, Cyrene is North Africa, so we'll come back to that. Uh, Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. I wonder who lives at Tarsus to look for Saul. Who do we know Saul better as? Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. He thought, I know this is going to be a great place for Paul to come to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Isn't that interesting? The first time that we are labelled by that name, Christ ones, the little Christs, is at Antioch. And I believe it's because of what they saw, a people of God in Christ. They saw different nationalities, different people, different backgrounds, all one in Christ. Now flick over with me to Acts chapter 13. This is a year or so later. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the modern missionary or the first century missionary journeys start from Antioch. When you see those maps in the back of your Bible, they all start from Antioch. And there are three missionary journeys that Paul and his companions do eventually, but they start from Antioch. Lord Jesus, I pray for your word this morning. I ask you, Lord, in the midst of vision, in the midst of you speaking, even in the midst of a difficult season for Jubilee, Lord, I pray your word would come alive. I pray your word would change our perspective. And Lord, I pray for real encouragement from the scriptures in Jesus' name. Let your name be honoured in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just say three things about this church in Antioch. Number one, it was a church of ethnic and cultural diversity. In our nation, over the last few years, it's been very popular to shun those of other ethnicity, to be frightened or fearful of those from, let alone Europe, from the rest of the world. To say, no, we're, 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 we want to keep ourselves separate, we want to separate off our Britishness. Actually, God doesn't see it like that. God, when he looks at the nations, doesn't see human borders and boundaries. In fact, they're all man-made anyway. God sees a people 
that he wants to bring together for his purposes. And in Antioch, you see this amazing people being brought together. Just look at the types of people who are being brought together. Barnabas, we know him because it's already told us in Acts 5, I think, and 6, it's said that he was a a Levite from Cyprus. Now, he was a part of the Jewish ruling elite. He'd come from a very religious background, and a Jew, and a very highly thought of Jew from Cyprus. And then we have Simeon called Niger. Do you know what Niger means? Black. Just black. Isn't it good that right at the heart of this church, right at the heart of the, one of the most amazing church plants in the New Testament, in fact the first one where Jews and Gentiles are working together, that actually there are black men and women right in the heart of it. Because God loves the nations. He loves black and white. In fact, there was probably very few white there. There was mostly black and brown. It's interesting, isn't it? Now you've got Lucius. Well, by the way, Simeon or Simon from... uh, called Niger, he was probably a black slave. Probably. So he'd probably come from a very difficult background. And we know here there are many people who've come from very difficult backgrounds. Maybe asylum seeker, refugees, maybe people who fled certain things. These guys would know what it's like to be a slave. They'd know what it's like to have persecution and right in the heart of the church were these people. The next one, Simeon, we've got him. Next one, Lucius of Cyrene. Now Cyrene is... Uh, Libya, modern-day Libya, it's definitely North Africa. And actually, it was wonderful to see that he's probably another black slave who's come to faith. Mannion, he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. In other words, it doesn't mean he just went to school with a few royal kids. He was actually brought up in a royal household. So he was a royal kid, probably related to Herod. So you've got black slaves, royal kids, religious guys from Cyprus... Actually, this church is from all over. And then you've got Paul, or Saul, a Jew, speak, a Greek-speaking Jew from Tarsus. It's amazing what is happening in this church. It's amazing the multiculturalism. And God loves that. I'm going to say God loves multiculturalism. God loves, and you can think, wouldn't it be easier if we were all the same? Or wouldn't it be? No, actually, that, it's bad if we're all the same. It's good if we're varied. It's good if there are different age groups. It's good if there are different socio-economic backgrounds. That means rich and poor together. It's good if there are those of different educational backgrounds. It's good that there are those of different coloured skin and from different nations. God loves that. It's all about being one new man in Christ. And actually, us not, first of all, seeing the bank balance, the country we've come from, the age and the wrinkles on our skin, the grey hairs, it's not, first of all, that's what we notice, although it shouldn't be, what we should first notice is we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're joined to Jesus together, and therefore the spirit of the Lord Jesus is just the same on my African brothers and sisters as he is on me. Just the same as our children, as the our older people. Just the same as our men, as our women. Just the same with those who are educated and those who are not, have had, not had formal education. Isn't it good to be part of a church like that? That was the original heart of Jubilee. That was the original heart that we would gather people from all sorts and all ages and all spheres of life. 
Look around, God has done it. We've been through difficulties, we've been through troubles, but God is still doing it amongst us. We need to stop, pause and celebrate what God's done amongst us and be really, really grateful. Even through difficulties. Even though you look around and say, well, they're not here anymore. That's all right, there's some new people coming. God often makes room, he often makes new seats, he often makes space for new things to happen and some new stuff is going to happen amongst you. And God's going to grow it again. And God's going to cause, again, nations to come. It's going to cause young and old, going to cause rich and poor, going to cause black and white, going to cause it to come because this is what God wants. When we get to eternity, and by the way, heaven isn't some cloud in some universe up there, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, a renewed teesside. You think uh, rosemary topping is glorious now, you want to wait to the new heavens and the new earth. It will be glorious, even more glorious. It will be there. It will be even more glorious, renewed in all its splendour and majesty. And so will you. And actually, it says in the book of Revelation, there will be people from every tribe, every language, every tongue, every country, every place on planet earth will be together as one new person. And this is a taste of heaven, actually. This is a taste of eternity. This is a taste of what it's going to be like in the eternal age on earth, actually every different nation represented. And I think Jubilee, we get a head start. Jubilee, we can be proud in the right sense of that, not arrogant, but proud about what God has done as a foretaste of heaven bringing us together here on Teesside. Who'd have imagined it Teesside? I mean, it doesn't appear, first of all, the most multicultural place on planet earth. You go back a few years, it didn't appear the most multicultural place on planet Earth, but God has birthed something here on Teesside to be a display of his glory, to actually declare that he breaks down all natural barriers and he brings together one new man in Christ. That's the glory of the church. That was Antioch. It was just like that. Different backgrounds, different coloured skins, different educations, different privileges, but all brought together into one community. Now just pick up that word community. See, when we come from different backgrounds, we expect different things. There's different ways we act. So I think I said to Sarush, I said, what was the one thing that surprised you when you came to England? Do you remember what you said? Do you remember what it was? Yeah. And community and talking at tables. Do you remember that? <laughs> he said, when you, if you go to hospitality in his country, um, actually you, you're having a good meal and you eat in silence as an honour to, the, to the, the person who's prepared it. It all goes quiet at mealtime. Here, it all goes loud at mealtimes. We all ask him one other questions and Saru said, I couldn't eat my food. They were all asking me questions. It's all very, so it's different. When you come from different backgrounds, it's different, but you learn together. And actually, I think one of the things God wants to highlight in this new season, see, I'm doing a new thing amongst you. One of the new things he wants to do is give you a renewed sense of community, a renewed sense of belonging, a renewed sense of one anothering, a renewed sense of together in Christ, a renewed sense of being together. Whatever your ethnicity, whatever your background, wherever you feel most comfortable in the past, God's going to make you actually most comfortable in the church because that's your new, renewed nature. That you're a new creation in Christ, created for this community. And God wants to do something wonderful amongst you for that. It's interesting that, God, that um, Barnabas first sees evidence of the grace of God in this place. 
And I think God just says grace is going to be a real... It's going to be a doctrine for you that you don't just understand but live in this new season. Over these next few years, grace is going to be something that you really don't just get theologically, but you really get it inside. And God is giving you grace for one another. Because actually, naturally speaking, you wouldn't get on with one another. And naturally speaking, there's a bit of friction. But actually, God's going to give you a load of oil of grace and oiling this machine. And that which used to be friction, that which used to be difficult, that which used to rub together in this new season is actually going to be like a well-oiled machine. And there's going to be more and more grace poured out. You're going to have grace for one another. You're going to have grace not just to look back and say what was, you're going to have grace to enjoy what is and look forward as to what is to come. You're going to have grace for that. It's a gift from God. It's God's perspective. It's seeing things from his perspective, lifting your eyes from yourself and looking up to what God's doing. It's grace. Barnabas saw evidence of the grace of God. There's going to be a new, renewed sense of grace in this church. A new, renewed sense of humility. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the moment we think we're anybody, the moment we think we've got it, the moment we think we're arrived, the moment we think, yeah, it's me, actually, no, it's all about community, it's all about one another, and ultimately it's all about him. God gives grace to the humble and opposes the proud. That's the first thing I want to say. The other things won't be as long. The second thing I want to say is this. It was a church that was totally led by the Holy Spirit. I love it that you still refer to the R's, the first R, that I had was receiving the Spirit. I know we've kind of changed that to receiving God or receiving Jesus. It's all the same because Jesus, it's his Spirit anyway. And we talk about God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But a Spirit-filled, a Spirit-led community. That's what Antioch was like. The thing about Antioch is anything could happen when you gathered together. When you were in Antioch, God spoke. When you were in Antioch, spiritual things happened. I love what happened this morning. I love the fact that we didn't quite know what was going to go on next. Another song, another language, another interpretation, another prophetic word, another uh, word of knowledge. God was just breaking out all over, wasn't he? Now, this should be normal for us. I know it is for you here in Jubilee. This is normal that we're a spirit-filled, charismatic, that we're a people who are led by God, not just led by men. The danger is that because we have anointed leaders, we can look to our anointed leaders to lead us. And in one sense, that's good. But another sense, well, you've got to understand, is anointed leaders only ever point you to Jesus to lead you. Because actually, we're only under shepherds and he's the good shepherd. And Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. And actually, it's all about Jesus leading in the church. It's all about Jesus ruling. It's all about Jesus reigning. So any activity from elders is only ever to point you to Jesus. Any leadership from leaders is only ever to lead you into green pastures, to lead you to lie down, to lead you to enjoy him, to lead you to enjoy the banquet, to lead you to him. And that's the wonderful thing about this church in Antioch. It said, while they were uh, worshipping the Lord and fasting, we'll kind of leave that bit out for the moment, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called you. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. That's what you did to us. Go away, send you off. (laughs) 
And God's going to do it again. There'll be many people who go from this church to plant new churches. There'll be many people who go from this church to do new works of God. There'll be many people who do that, but who in the end sends them? Who in the end directs them? Who actually, interestingly, this is is not a rhetorical question right now, who had the word? See, we've been told that Paul was there, Barnabas was there, Simeon, or some people even think that, some commentators even think that Simeon uh, from Cyrene is the same as Simon from Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross. I mean, yeah, some people think that because such a similarity of the name and where he's from, some people think it almost certainly was the same guy. He was with Jesus at the crucifixion. He carried the cross for Jesus, for heaven's sake. You know, who was, I'm sure he brought the word. I'm sure it was Paul. I mean, we had Paul with us. You know, he doesn't, you know, he wrote the Bible. Paul, and we had Barnabas. He, you know, who was it brought the word? Who was it who brought the word who's going to actually now start the most amazing missionary journey of all time so that Paul, in the end, can say all the known world, all of Asia, has heard the word of the Lord. Who is going to launch it? Who does it say? The Holy Spirit. It doesn't even name the person. Now, Luke is pretty amazing in his accuracy. Mostly, Luke records exactly who said what, where, and when, and how. Luke is the most detailed writer as a medical doctor. He's got such an eye for detail. He says most excellent philosophers, and I could never say that name, Theo, he said, I've I've looked at all the evidence. I've I've interviewed everyone, and this is my true account, the Holy Spirit said. Isn't that interesting? What does that say to me? That actually the Spirit can and does move through anyone and everyone. The danger is we get a church structure and we tend to put our elders on pedestals, we tend to put our leaders up on platforms and we tend to think, oh, they're the ones who'll hear God for us. Like Moses coming down from the mountain with the tablets of stone. I've heard God for you. I'll tell you where this church is going. I've got vision. I've got faith. Follow me. Actually, it's not like that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we hear God together. In the New Testament, all God's people are prophets. In the Old Testament, Moses was a prophet. With a prophet, I'll lead them. New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, all may prophesy. We all get to be prophets in that sense. We all get to prophesy. We all get to hear God. In the Old Testament, only a few could hear God. In the Old Testament, the Spirit just came on one or two people. In the New Testament, sons and daughters, old men, young men, slaves and free, we all get the Spirit and we all get to hear God. And the amazing thing about leadership is not to hear God for you, it's to bring some order and some structure and some guidelines to all the amazing things we're all hearing together and to bring kind of some order to it and to bring some authority to it and to bring, because that's really important that we do that. We're not dissing the gift of leadership, but leadership is to direct the traffic, not to be all the traffic. And I believe more and more individuals here are going to hear God. The thing that Jubilee, this church, is known for all over the world, I literally mean that, I meet people, I've met people in other nations who've said, oh, Jubilee, that's the place where you've got all those 
people from different nations. That's the place where someone's spoken in another language. So I met an Eritrean in another country who'd heard about Paul Catterall's word when he spoke in ancient Geese. Do you remember the Amharic Tigrinian thing? I'm, he, you're not from his church, are you? Well, actually, it was my church, you know. <laughs> no, it's like, wow. See, you're famous all over the world. And one of the things you're famous for is this multicultural thing. One of the things you're famous for is how you've embraced people of different nationalities and made one new man in Christ. Who started that? Jeremy? Steve? Jed? Was it that eldership? No. It was none of those guys. It was, none of, it was not us. It really wasn't us. It was Jill Bull and Evan. Not even here anymore. And they were Evan. They were out on the streets in Stockton, and they contacted the first asylum seeker refugee. Now, Jill was carrying an amazing prophetic promise from her childhood. Even from her youth, she knew that one day she'd talk to Muslims and, to, and be influential in leading Muslims to Christ. She knew that. She got that deep in her spirit. I remember her telling me that, and I'm thinking, when we first came here, I thought, yeah, right, you know. <laughs> great man of faith that I am. But when it happened, we saw it, and then we gave leadership to it. Then we gave structure to it. And then Steve started to rise up to really give some leadership to it. But we didn't initiate it. I want to say this. There's going to be incredible works of faith that this church is going to step into in the next 10 years. In the next 18 years, there's going to be incredible new ministries birthed from here. There's going to be new nations touched. There's going to be church plants that go out. And maybe, maybe some of them will be birthed from the elders, but probably most of them won't be. They'll be birthed from you and your children. Some of the little ones here now are going to be raised up as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And that we've got the great privilege of seeing our children go further than ever we did. And as leaders, that's our passion. Our leaders is we want to say to you, run with all the energy that God's given you. Run and find out God's destiny for you. Find out what the promises of God are for you and where we can help, where we can facilitate that, where we can open a door for you, where we can push you into something and promote you into something. Great, we'll do that. Sometimes we might have to say, like initially I had to say to Jill Ball, let's just wait for God then. Because she would have run ahead. Let's wait for God. Now, actually, as God opened door, and literally opened door, actually we stepped into it. Now, elders, we'll have sight, we'll have faith, we'll have discernment for that. But what I'm saying is this. What happened in Acts in Antioch was that the Holy Spirit spoke. And I love it when we come to Jubilee. I've got to be honest with you, and Andy, this is no slight. And it, <coughs> there are other places where the music how do I say this? <laughs> there are other places where it's a little more polished occasionally. That's all right. There are other places where the speaking's a lot better. <laughs> I heard a few amens there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the, you know, there are other places where we have real coffee, actually. You know, I've got to be honest with you. But do you know what? There's very few, and I don't say that to offend you, I say it to laugh with you. There's very few places I go where there's a sense of God's presence like that was this morning, where there's a sense of one and another and another and another. And it's not all coming from the leaders. It's coming from, you know, Jill Boston and it's coming from Lou and it's coming, you know, it's just it's wonderful what's happening. One after another after another is prophesying and speaking and Amanda and Dennis and it's like in, in, another one. And I thought, how many more of these can we have? It's like amazing. 
Now, I think you get used to it in Jubilee. It's wonderful. It's the Spirit speaking. Now, leadership still needs to give direction to it. Leadership still needs to give authority to it. And by the way, this is not an argument for bad speaking, bad coffee, or singing happy birthday out of tune. (laughs) I want to do all those things well. And actually, you do do some things very well. The hospitality in Jubilee is usually excellent. The speaking in Jubilee is pretty good. The worship and music, I mean, Dave Gibson's, Anne's, uh, Anne's killing herself inside, going, I want to be part of the Christmas choir, I want to come over and be part, because it was so, you, you did that so well. So there are brilliant things that we do, and I love it that Anne is leading worship. I remember the day he got saved. But hear, hear what I am saying, please don't hear what I'm not saying, Neil. This, that's one for Neil. <laughs> hear what I am saying. We gather not to just great music, not to just great hospitality, not just to great speaking, we gather to the presence of God. And Antioch had the presence of God. God spoke. Anything could happen when we come together. Or is it just our church again, a bit boring, get through it, have Sunday lunch? No, anything can happen when we gather like this. Nations can be changed. Lives can be changed. People can be healed, saved, set free when we gather together like this. Last and final point. It was a church that went on mission together. They sent out Paul and Barnabas on mission. They'd already had mission in their own city. They'd already seen a great number of people saved and then they went out from themselves and saw others. They went on what we in New Frontiers stupidly call apostolic mission. Do you know why that's stupid? Because the word apostolic means to be sent with authority and the word mission is exactly the same word as apostle. Because when they were translating the, the Greek into, into Latin, the nearest they could find for the word apostle was the word missio. And the word missio, we get the word mission or missionary. It's exactly the same. It's like saying, isn't that a lovely round circle? So apostolic mission just means apostolic, apostolic, or missionary mission. But the church is called to it. The church ultimately doesn't exist for itself. You know, we've got a cosy little full room here and we've had cosy full rooms before. We could say, let's just kind of cap this off. Let's just have a nice time. Let's just get together, bless us, pray for us. Let's be... But the church was never for that. The church was always for the world. The church was always supposed to be empowered by the Spirit. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. He didn't have a conference in Jerusalem. He said, wait in Jerusalem for one thing, that the Spirit might come on you, when the Spirit comes on you, go! When the Spirit comes on you, you you will be propelled from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And that's what God says to you, Jubilee. Don't get comfortable like this. He wants to add to you. He wants you to reach out to your mission field. Now, your mission field may well be planting a church in another nation. Hallelujah. And I prophesy that there will be people from here who go from nation to nation to nation. That will happen. Churches will be birthed. New nations will be reached. That will happen from here. But actually, it's a wider implication than that. How can it be wider than the world? Because it's your world. See, we've got to get... See, we were told to go to the ends of the earth, but we're also told to go to the ends of our streets and the ends of our comfort zone. And actually, it's your world. Do you know what? The missionaries here are not just people who get sent out like Paul and Jill Catterall or, Paul, or Jill and Andy Ball or Jeremy and Anne or Julian or uh, Stephen, Joe Whittington. They're not just the missionaries. 
do you know what? The Bible's revelation is we're all apostolic. We're all missionaries. We're all the light of the world. We're all sent out into our communities. And I want to just pray and prophesy over you that there's going to be a new explosion of growth in, the evangel- in evangelism. There's going to be a new breakthroughs. And just as we saw in the past, breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough, people saved and baptised and brought through. That was a regular occurrence in Jubilee. It was happening every week. It was happening every month. It was happening every term. We couldn't st- it was just happening. It's going to happen again, guys. Because that's the purpose of this church. That's the mission for which this church exists. Not just to serve itself, but to reach out from itself to others. And I just feel you've got a wonderful opportunity right now. You've got an amazing opportunity right now with what's happening in Alpha. I think God is owning Alpha again in a whole new way. The new material that's been produced for Alpha is superb. The buzz that's going around the country. Something's happening. Invite people next Sunday. Something's going to happen next Sunday. There's going to be scores of people, but you, you invite them. You invite them. You bring them along. They're not going to come because they say an advert. They're going to come because you invite them. And I just want to leave, finish my message with a challenge that you guys really are the hope of the world. You really are the light to a dark place. Don't moan at me that you're in a dark place. Oh, it's really dark in my street, in my neighbourhood in my work, in my family, in the place where it's really dark. Good! That's why God sent the light of the world there, to shine. And God says to you, Jubilee, I'm equipping you, I'm lighting lights and fires in hearts that you might carry the message into all the world. Now, some will go to nations, some will stay, and some, I believe, will see amazing fruit in this church in this season, not looking back. Do you remember I said, forget the former things? It wasn't all that good anyway. I could tell you lots of horror stories. Don't live where you are. Don't just, don't settle for this. Let's believe God that he's got a glorious future ahead. Now, I feel we need to commit ourselves to some stuff this weekend. I think Raj painted an amazing vision last Sunday. I think tonight when you come, I think it's, is it here? Tonight when you come here, you're going to hear the elders and other trustees painting vision, which they've talked to others about, they've researched it. It's not just their ideas, shiny ideas. They, they've, they're hearing God, they're bringing things together, and they're saying, this is where we're going, guys. A people need to follow. You're not following elders, you're following Jesus. A people need to say, count me in. A people need to say, I'm on board with this. A people need to say... Even throughout difficulty, trials and troubles and ups and downs, count me in because I'm going to be part of the answer. Count me in because I'm going to be part of the blessing here. I'm carrying something for this. That's you, that should be your heart's cry. I'm carrying something for this. And I want to be part of the answer. I want to step in. I don't know what it means. I'm going to be bold this week and maybe invite some to Alpha. I'm going to be supportive of what's going on. I'm going to say, I know we've been through troubles, but I'm going to speak well. I'm going to commit in because I believe God's with us. Don't you? I believe God's with you. He's with other churches, hallelujah, but he's with you. He's here amongst you. And I I want to to end this, and this is not going to be an appeal for like one or two of you to stand. I hope this is an appeal for everyone to stand because I want to say, let's stand together as a community. Let's say we're in this together. Let's say we're going to step into being this Antioch church.
that represents all nations, this Antioch church that hears the Spirit, that knows Jesus, that Jesus is speaking to, an Antioch church that goes into all the world, that goes out from itself to others. That's what I believe. That's your receiving the Spirit and reaching out, by the way. That's your first two R's for free. Now, it needs a people, it needs a community, it needs a restored community in that to do it. We can't just send our elders to do it. We need to step into this. So I want to end this meeting by just praying over you as a community. I know that my friend Graham is a fellow elder with me in Manchester. He's on our apostolic team. I know Graham's already carrying some prophetic words for you. And it may well be that others have got prophetic words here. It may even be that there's a Jill Ball here. There's not, is there? No. <laughs> so, <clears throat> there, may, there, may even, there may be that... Bless her, I love her. There may well be that there's a Jill Ball here who's going to prophesy, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas. There may well be some new stuff that happens this week. Maybe tonight at your vision meeting, God will speak to you. Isn't it exciting to be a part of a church like that? If you want to be part of a church like that, and you want us to just pray over you, why don't you stand right now?